Hi, I'm Michael London, and welcome to Spidcast, the future of collaborative video production, brought to you by SpidVid.com. On this episode, we're visiting with Joel Bryant, actor and producer of the web series Suck and Moan. He's also an accomplished stand-up comic as part of the comedy duo of Devin and Joel. We'll also visit with Hayden Black. He is the writer, producer, and co-star of Goodnight Burbank. Now, Hayden's story has a wonderful twist to it that you will not want to miss. First up is Joel Bryant. Uh, tell us a bit about your story. Absolutely. Uh, I was originally born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Lived there until I was 18 and came out here for college. Actually started acting in Albuquerque when I was 11 years old. No need to get into the arts, but it was because I saw a buddy's picture on a billboard for a local bank. And he did a local commercial and everybody was talking about it and everybody thought he was really cool for doing that. So I thought, this acting thing sounds like a blast. So I started looking into acting. I went into some acting classes and... As soon as I started getting acting classes, I just got hooked on it. The, the bug kicked in, so I was roped into acting classes. And then after that, I started stand-up when I was 16 years old. I told my mom to take me to a club and to try an open mic. Did it, and it was great to be the young kid in the club. Started improv when I was 17, and all that culminated into winning Outstanding Actor Award at the New Mexico Theater Festival, uh, which kind of cemented the fact that maybe I'm doing the right thing. Went out to Pepperdine University in Malibu on a theater scholarship, and since then, been living in Los Angeles doing doing what I do. <laughs> so my question is, then, what what is the 16-year-old comic's point of view in Albuquerque, New Mexico? When you're the 16-year-old at a comedy club, it's amazing because your voice is so unique. There's obviously not a lot of 16-year-olds there, so you're talking about how how interesting like girls are and I wonder what I wonder what sex is I wonder what drinking is and you're so innocent and you're naive and the people are really on board with you because they've all been through that and no one can really represent that voice except coming from a real naive 16 year old point of view and it was interesting because after college I took a few years off of stand up and I got back into it in my late 20s and Try to revisit some of those jokes didn't quite fly because when you're in your late 20s, you've had the drinks, you've had the girl, you've had you know all these life experiences. So it was an interesting obstacle, an interesting mountain to reclimb getting back on stage again and finding out, okay, what is my voice now? Obviously, I can't be the naive 16-year-old. I have a driver's license now. <laughs> I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> I have bills to pay. You know, So that was an interesting thing, but I love being the 16-year-old. It was fun to, it was fun to be the kid. You know, so you leave Albuquerque for LA and take us through that journey. Uh, the journey, the reason I came out here for college, I only looked at Los Angeles schools because I always wanted to come out to Los Angeles. As soon as I, as I was a kid and wanted to be an actor, I was in love with the idea of what Los Angeles was. Uh, until we came out for a vacation and went to Hollywood and Vine and realized it's not really glamorous there, but I was still in love with the idea of it. And so I just looked at schools out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I looked at Pepperdine and a couple other schools, and I just kind of went to the school that would give me the the, the theater scholarship and the best deal and Pepperdine came through. The reason why I wanted to do that is kind of dip my toe into Los Angeles and kind of feel it out a little bit while I'm still getting some money from the government and from mom to, to kind of ease into it as opposed to packing everything in a car and just moving out here with not knowing anything. So, you know, it was, it was a nice introduction to be in college and, and kind of feel the city out and feel the industry out. But then when I actually graduated, 
they didn't teach you a lot of the business aspect. They taught you how to how to act in college and how to do Bertolt Brecht and the existential movement and all this sort of stuff. And then when you leave, you have no idea what a headshot is or a resume is or you know how to network or anything. So it took me a number of years trying to maintain jobs, trying to pay for college, trying to find out what theater was, what it wasn't, what was worth taking. So it took me a while to navigate the pitfalls of Los Angeles. I think a lot of other people they go to. Uh, strong programs where they have good mentors when they get out and I was kind of on my own a little bit trying to figure it all out so you know I used my same black and white headshots for my first theater gig in college and a resume I half wrote up on, with, on paper with pencil you know so it took me a few years to figure it out and Joel what was your breakthrough moment oh the breakthrough you know that's a that's an interesting question it hasn't really been necessarily a huge breakthrough It's it's been kind of a slow steady build it's like I've always been a very proactive person, someone who really hustles. And finally, in like my late 20s, all that work started kind of culminating into consistent work. I think my first breakthrough, I, got, I did a film called uh, Life, Death, and Mini Golf, which I was guaranteed, I, I thought this is going to be a hit. It's going to be huge because the role was written for me. There was a budget. There were some actors who had actually had credits. Uh, actually, Kristen Wiig from Silent Live was actually in it way before Silent Live and everything. So it was always talented people. And that was the film that I, I was sure was going to be a huge hit. So uh, that made me quit my waiting table job. Because so I was like, I'm just going to quit waiting tables. I'm taking the leap of faith now. Obviously, that didn't work out as a hit movie. But, uh, but it did give me the impetus to, okay, now I don't have a job. Now I really have to start acting. Uh, between that and, and meeting my wife, who just has a great business mind. She has the business acumen. She's the one who taught me that you know, acting isn't all living in your cars and doing black box theater and doing three lines in a TV show or doing some small stuff. It's a business. And meeting her and knowing what that business is 90% of it, and then there's 10% fun and talent, all that other good stuff that you love about it. But really to focus into the business end, she was one that really guided me along. Well, that's wonderful that you have a partner that understands and keeps the business end rolling. Absolutely. It's the best partnership because we get to, not only do we have our own individual careers, she has a huge online career. I have an online career as well as traditional media, but we also tour around as a comedy duo together. So we get to literally tour the world. We went for the troops overseas and performed for them, uh, Canada, all over the place. And it's, it's so much fun when you get a tour with your spouse slash comedy partner, as opposed to calling her from the road and saying, hey, Italy is great. You're experiencing this together, you know, uh, the good and the bad. You know, we did a series of prison shows. I, only want, I want to do those with my wife, you know what I mean? <laughs> and see, you know, this is how the actual experience is. So I, we, we do have, I think that's the most, uh, that was always, that became the goal for me later on. You know, it was always to win an Oscar by the time I was 24 years old. Uh, that was the, the goal coming out of the gates. But the goal slowly merged into, I want to enjoy what I'm doing and have fun doing it. And that's, and that's once I started reaching that level, I could finally step back, look around, and say, you know what? I'm kind of making my own schedule. I'm doing things I want to do. I'm doing it with people I want to do it with. And I think that became the goal. That's, what, that's the place I'm at right now. So then tell us a bit about your web presence. Tell us about Suck and Moan. Suck and Moan is a web series that is in the later stages of release. We have two more episodes to release. It's played a number of festivals, and it's done really well. Got a lot of uh, good awards, which really makes me proud, and uh, got some nice notices and reviews across the board. It's, uh, it was the brainchild of a friend of mine, Brendan Fong, who came to me with the idea, and he had shot it and everything. And I'd been in the new media market for a couple of years, uh, working on other projects. And he said, I have this project, Suck and Moan. And so what is it? Well... It's uh, zombie or vampires trying to survive during a zombie apocalypse. And I said, oh, that's kind of clever. It takes two big pop cultural 
horror icons and smashes them together in a very satirical way. So it's kind of Shaun of the Dead meets a vampire clerks, if you will. Um, you know, because the vampires are mad because the zombies are eating all the humans and they're also really loud at night and all this. They're kind of ruining the, the peace that these vampires have established for themselves. It's very tongue-in-cheek and it's very fun. Uh, but, you know, I'd, I'd been in new media. Uh, I got nominated for the Streamy Award for After Judgment. I'd done some other guest spots and that kind of got me in that world and I realized how much of a fun, proactive community it is and how amazing it is that you can just create a project with a friend of yours, have other friends come on board, talented people, and kind of shoot all that and, and, and meld it all together and make your own projects. So Suck and Moan uh, at suckandmoan.com. Uh, and we just had our big sc- uh, screening of our uh, our big rap rap party slash screening of the last two episodes to a packed house up in uh, up in Burbank. So it's kind of, we, we've put the nail in the coffin, not to use a really bad pun right now, <laughs> put the nail in the coffin on season one, and then we'll see where it goes. And Joel, what advice do you have for someone coming from Boise or Springfield or Albuquerque to L.A.? Coming from Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of us, actually. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris from Albuquerque, Freddie Prince Jr., Albuquerque, uh, all went to my same high school. The advice coming from, uh, from a smaller town going to a bigger town is... Do everything you can within your small town before you jump into the bigger market. It's it's a lot easier to gain credits, gain experience, be, be a bigger fish in a small pond before you have to jump into being a smaller fish in a big pond. Make your mistakes when the stakes are low. You know, uh, screw up on stage in a small theater in Albuquerque before you get cast in a huge equity show in L.A. and screw up there. You know, uh, I think that's really the main key. And then only come out when you're ready to when you're ready to come out. I think you're going to people are going to want to rush coming out. Take your time. Ease into it. Find a good support system when you get out there. Don't when you got to L.A. or New York or Chicago, you know, don't don't lose your head. Um, And I think the main thing is when you start actually working, don't burn bridges. Don't be an a-hole. Show up early, be fun to work with, do a good job, and then leave a good impression behind. Superb advice. So what is next for Joel Bryant? Next for Joel, uh, looking for uh, funding for season two of Suck and Moan and selling that. Uh, My wife and I uh, are going to be hitting the road during December to do some holiday shows, comedy shows, private corporate stuff, uh, which is always a nice Christmas bonus. Um, Also got uh, just a couple of film projects uh, in the hop. There's some making the film festival route right now. Doing two plays here in Los Angeles, uh, one in February, one in March balancing that out and uh actually recently got cast cast in a broadway show so i'm gonna be going out there hopefully in april i think i don't i gotta look at the calendar i'd like to keep busy i told you (laughs) wonderful to hear so where can we keep up to date on your busy schedule you can always go to joelbryant.net uh it's also devingreen.com same website devinandjoel.com it's all the same website we have all of our stuff up there her videos my videos our calendar some fun stuff there and uh facebook email twitter all that stuff's on there and we love interacting with people so give a shout and how about a parting shot joel a great nugget to take away the nugget to take away from from this from from joel bryant your your free nugget of the day <laughs> if you will you know i think uh i actually close i I was lucky enough to go teach at my alma mater at Pepperdine uh, last year, which was kind of a big honor to go talk to the, the kids. And uh, sounds weird to say kids. And the nugget I told him was, you know, constantly redefine your success. I think you, you always have to do that. There, there's obviously some major goal that you want, but you have to – I think it, your success should be very fluid. So when I graduated college – I wanted that Oscar at 24. The Oscar didn't come, so I wanted just to work by 25. Work didn't come at 25, so I just wanted to quit my day job by 27. You know, so I think you know, keep realistic goals in mind, 
but realize it's very fluid and a lot's up to luck. So, you know what? Just have fun on the journey. Thank you, Joel Bryant, for joining us today on Spidcast. Thanks for having me. Spidcast. Next up is writer, producer, actor Hayden Black. Hayden, for the benefit of those listening who haven't heard your name yet, but they will, fill us in. Tell us a bit about your story. Um, a little bit about me, Hayden Black. Well, I'm from England. Uh, I'm come from uh, Manchester. Uh, moved to Florida, which uh, is not fun. But I've uh, been in L.A. for a while, and I do uh, a few shows on the web, one of which has gone on to television, which is uh, Goodnight Burbank. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, the, the first thing about me is I, I, I identify as a writer, first and foremost. So tell us a bit about the process you take as a writer and also how that role expanded and evolved. Well, the, the writing is something that I've, I've always done since I was in uh, high school. And then it was 2006, I was taking a, a, a class, an improv class at the Upright Citizens Brigade at UCB. And um, somebody there mentioned that... Uh, they had access to a green screen studio and we should shoot stuff for, uh, for the web and for mobile. <clears throat> and this was 2006. So all of us, myself included, were, were basically like, what's, what's that all about? So I did some research and saw what was coming and, uh, and went, wow, this, this, look, this looks amazing. Plus, it's a great way of letting people, uh, producers and whatnot, see your stuff. So I wrote uh, this pilot episode. Uh, we shot it a few days later. And kind of hit the ground running, but it was uh, it was it, it became so successful we started to do more, and that's when I found myself um, not just as a writer any longer, but as a as a as a producer. And I hadn't acted before, and I was acting in it, so uh, there were just many new hats that I suddenly found myself wearing. And because there was no pressure to do, um, you know, the most uh, amazing work that a billion people were going to watch immediately. It allowed me the uh, the time to uh, to learn the crafts better, and, uh, and and to do more, and uh, and that's what we have over the years. Now you mentioned being involved in online content as far back as two thousand six, which makes you a bit of a pioneer. But your web series has done something quite unique. Share that with us. Um, well, it started about uh, just over a year ago, two thousand ten, I guess it was. Uh, took a, a meeting with Hulu, and they suggested. Um, doing a half-hour version of Goodnight Burbank. Up until that point, we'd done about 30-odd episodes and uh, just, you know, again, learning, learning, learning. And then I went uh, back to England. Hadn't been back there in years and um, met with uh, a couple of uh, networks over there um, and pitched them some ideas, one of which was a British half-hour version of Burbank. And, uh, and they were very interested in that. But they asked the question, which... Uh, really kind of threw me this, well, what does a half-hour version look like? And Because I, I, I realized, I don't really know. You know, I'd, I'd, um, I'd originally had an idea for a half-hour show. I whittled it down to five minutes, and it became Goodnight Burbank. But it, that was so different to this original half-hour that I'd initially created back in 2005 that it was like starting all over again. So um, I then spent two months just working on developing what a half-hour version of Burbank would look like. And, uh, and then uh, started casting it with a, a new cast. Uh, we got the amazing Laura Silverman. We got Dominic Monaghan. Um, people like John Barrowman came on board. Um, uh, Miracle Laurie, Camden Toy. Uh, you know, people from the, from the world of Dollhouse and Buffy. It was just phenomenal how this thing started filling up. 
and uh, I wrote the first, uh, or I wrote all six scripts, which became the first season, and uh, we shot them uh, slowly because our resources were fairly limited. Because now, you know, I was in a whole new world at this point. Now I'm producing half-hour, you know, well, at the time, we couldn't technically say half-hour television, but we were produce, I was producing a half-hour show that I'd written. Um, and so, again, big learning curve. And when we finished, um, two things happened. One was um, a, a company called Zodiac, the third largest uh, production company slash um, uh, distribution company in the world. They saw rough cuts of the first few episodes and snapped up the global TV distribution rights. Uh, and then we premiered on Hulu on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was April 25th of this year, of 2011. And um, Mark Cuban was watching. And uh, he snapped up the, uh, the show for uh, U.S. cable um, the next day. Wow, that is an amazing story. Now, everybody who gets in this business wants fame or fortune or however they measure their own success. And you have achieved that. I'd like for you to tell us how that feels. Well, it's surreal is the first feeling. I mean, it's, it's funny you should ask this because when, when we're doing it, when you're in the middle of it, you know, you believe in it. You, and you're constantly striving to make it better and better and better in case it gets the chance to go to that next platform. And you pour your heart and your soul into it, as, as does the rest of the cast and crew, by the way. This is not a one-man operation. And so you've got all this energy and you're pouring it into it and you're all hoping. And, uh, and then it happens. And I think when it happens, it, it really made me realize, um, I, you know, I don't come up with sayings, but I, I came up with an expression that day explaining to my mom what had just happened. I said that there are a million reasons to say no to something and only one reason to say yes. And that is that you can't think of a million reasons to say no. It, there's so many, you know, just because Mark uh, was watching the show didn't mean that he was going to then want to pick it up for his network. So, so many, it, it, it's just unbelievably surreal that, that he did. And, and making it even more astonishing was that he wanted it immediately. So what were your first thoughts when he said, I want to sign this? Well, I was, you know, I was uh, doing, uh, at the time, I was, because uh, I produced this whole show while doing a full-time freelance day job. Um, so it was, it, was, it was two careers kind of going on at the same time. And um, I was still at the, uh, at the day job when, uh, when we premiered, and I got the, uh, the email um, the, the, the following morning, and I was in a, you know, an open plan cubicle uh, office uh, over at NBC, and I had to contain myself. I don't know how I did it, but um, I, I, I'm sure people probably still heard me jumping up and down. <laughs> that is a wonderful story. Now, knowing what you know today about the whole process, what would you do differently? Well, the, I think the, the only thing that you know, I'm, I'm really, really glad that I put in the time to develop the show, write the scripts, keep rewriting the scripts, and then rewrite the scripts more. And then just keep rewriting the scripts. That was so important to the process. Um, it was amazing, you know, some of the things I learned as I went, like watching how the, the crew, uh, excuse me, the cast, um, kind of started gelling and finding their own chemistry. And, you know, if you watch the six episodes, you can, you can see, certainly by episode three, uh, the cast really starting to find their, their feet and really starting to come together. I think, you know, some of, the, some of the, the pitfalls that we wound up in was because we had such low resources. It wasn't until after we'd shot some of the shows that we, uh, we found some issues 
with either sound or with you know with shot on p2 cards and um i think there were two scenes overall that that did not transfer one we managed to reshoot because it was very simple and the other sadly we couldn't remount so we had to take the scene as is and edit it uh completely way down because we i think we had one angle um and because the other angle was lost and these are things that you know if i I, if I'd have known, I would have, I would have ensured that somebody was was watching every single P2 card as it was being, you know, downloaded onto a computer. Um, and stuff, stuff like that, but, you know, just keeping a bigger eye over things production-wise. I would guess that each of us has at some point lost some P2 footage. I know I have. Uh, now, tell us about how collaboration via places like Spidvid has helped you. Well, boy, like when, we, when we started the original, um, I spoke to a guy over at a company called Live Video, and they were very, very happy to give us use of their green screen office. Uh, it literally wasn't even a green screen studio. It was a, it was a space outside their office that was painted green. And uh, they allowed us to use that in exchange for, you know, us allowing them to, to put Goodnight Burbank on their platform, which you did, did not have a problem with. And I think the collaborative thing is, is taken, you know, every step further when you start producing. You've got actors who are bringing their game to the table and, um, and, and their choices of how they deliver the lines and, and uh, you know, what they can even possibly add. You've also got, you know, the crew. You couldn't do it without a fantastic crew. Uh, pitching in and, and taking care of things and keeping an eye out for things that only they can see and certainly stuff I'm not going to see. So it's it's an entirely collaborative medium, entirely collaborative. You you couldn't do it by yourself. Like I said, I was working two jobs. I would come back from from the uh, the one job. Uh, you know, if I'd had a bad day, I had to literally leave that at the door because it's all trickle down. If I was in a bad mood, everybody else was going to be in a, in a crappy mood too. And that would have been the height of unprof- unprofessionalism. So I just really had to go that extra mile sometimes. Not all the time, thank God. But, you know, sometimes you just don't have a great day. This is great advice for the uh, young filmmakers. Thank you so much. I'd like to know now how you found an audience for Goodnight Burbank. Well, the original show in 2006, what happened was um, we, got a, we got a couple of reviews. And one of the websites uh, apparently was being monitored by the guys over at iTunes who were, you know, looking for stuff themselves, uh, they saw the review of Goodnight Burbank, again, this is back in 2006, and, uh, and then put us, they went and watched the show and then put it on uh, the front page. So we got, you know, we got very lucky. We were one of the first ones out there, and we were also one of the first to do really well. So we, we, we could take advantage of that. This time around, for the half-hour version, um, we have, a, you know, a, an arrangement with Hulu wherein they give us some promotion and marketing. And uh, I think, you know, it's just so competitive these days with so many people uploading their stuff on a daily basis, if not hourly. Um, any bit of promotion and marketing can, uh, can really help. Well, it certainly can't hurt. Hayden, uh, where can people see your stuff? Uh, they can see uh, Goodnight Burbank either at goodnightburbank.com or um, hulu.com slash goodnightburbank. Uh, and they can um, uh, follow the Twitter because I do uh, I, I update the the Twitter account with jokes taken from the news every single day, and that's at Goodnight Burbank. But the night is spelled N I T E in uh, in the Twitter account. N I G H T everywhere else. And you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at, at Hayden Black, where I'm writing crazy crap all the time. Yes, you are, but it is very entertaining crap. 
All right, Hayden, our time is short. You've had a degree of success. I was wondering if you could pay it forward just a bit. How about some free advice for someone just getting ready to dip their toe into producing web content? I would say that, that you know, when you're doing this, this, this is a fantastic forum that's open to us all. Um, we can all now use the web as, as a means of distribution. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should. You know, it's, it's a great, to, to me, like when we started Goodnight Burbank, it wasn't done in a sense of, oh, my God, let's, uh, let's, let's conquer the web. Let's show the world how brilliant we are. It was really done more out of a sense of, let's see what we can do, and let's see how we can learn. And I see this, this it's a fantastic learning opportunity, but I see a lot of people are so terribly impatient, and they want everybody to look at what they've just done, and oftentimes it's, it's not there yet. They haven't spent the time um, working out the scripts or, you know, casting it well or whatever. And I think that uh, we all have to do those things to learn from them. But we shouldn't be imploring everybody else to watch our mistakes. We should just be learning from them. And, and, and that's how we started Goodnight Burbank. You know, we didn't start off perfect. We're still not perfect. But it's, it's, just, it's just being patient and really realizing what this medium can truly bring to you. It's, it's a fantastic uh, lesson. Every time you, you do something and upload it, you're learning. And, and, and that's how you know, Spielberg still, I'm sure, learns from every project he's done. And, and continues making even better content. Hayden, i got to tell you, stories like yours and series like yours is what keeps new filmmakers jumping in and making new and exciting content. We thank you for that. I'm so, I'm so tickled for your success. Oh, thank you so much. I am too. <laughs> Still so very surreal. As well you should be. Thank you, Hayden Black, for joining us today on Spidcast. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for listening to our Spidcast show. We appreciate your time and attention. You can now join the conversation at spitvid.com or on our Spitvid blog. And you can join our collaborative filmmaking community at spitvid.com. Tune in next month for another entertaining and informative episode of Spitcast. Spitcast.